0: And welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show where we talk about the movies we've seen since the last time we did one of these, as well as the TV shows we've seen since the last time we did one of these. Um, I'm David. I'm Tyler. Let's uh, start. Okay. Because I saw a bunch of stuff. Now, I, st- I told you beforehand I had seven movies to talk about. Mm. If I'm if I'm being technical, I actually have sixteen movies to talk about. Oh, okay. Because two of my "quote unquote" movies are the oscar-nominated live action shorts oh and yes, oscar-nominated yes animated shorts so i'm gonna start um i'm just gonna get through uh, i'm just gonna do all the animated shorts as my first entry here okay um i won't spend too long on any of them uh and you can read reviews that i posted uh at battleship Sanjay yes. um Sanjay's super team is the um what sort of the uh, obligatory Pixar um oh, sure. thing it's uh well animated um but thin on uh substance okay uh, but it does get, go to some sort of psychedelic places that I uh, I enjoyed um World of Tomorrow is the one that you've probably been hearing about Yeah, Don Hertzfeld. Uh,
1: that's the one on, on ne- it's available on it's Netflix available on
0: Netflix um it's 16 minutes long and it's uh quite quite beautiful um it's the if you don't know the story it's um a It's in Don Hertzfeld's Hertzfeld's general style, Mm -hmm. you know, mostly stick figures um, and rustling sounds, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) thing he does. Um, But this also has a lot of other uh, busyness going on because uh, it's a story of a a young, a very young girl named Emily and um, another uh, young woman. A woman comes to visit her to let her know that she is Emily's clone four generations or something later hundreds of years in the future and she's come back to tell Emily about what the rest of her life is going to be mm. and the only reason she's coming back to do that is because she has the memory of it happening to her okay so she's just so it's sort of like a paradoxical <laughs> loop like uh, um uh, but it it gets into this very uh, very lovely sort of melancholy bittersweet uh look at um what it means to to live and love and grow and move on and uh how things change and stay the same okay it's uh, very very lovely very effective um then there's bear story which i've already almost forgotten it's kind of uh, maudlin and uh, mm. uh I, I i didn't care much for it okay <laughs> um the one one I really liked is called We Can't Live Without Cosmos, and it is the story—it It's it has sort of a hand-drawn, like, almost Saturday morning cartoon type of—or almost like—I uh, think in my review I described it as, like, a Sunday newspaper comic strip come to life in its okay. style, you know? And it's about two cosmonauts in training who become best friends. Uh, and it is very very sweet um and it and it has a lot of uh in the early going it's sort of like it's about 15 minutes long and, and in the early going it's kind of vignette and sketch but like it's just different training exercises they go through mm-hmm. uh and they all sort of have like a jokey punctuation punctuation at the end but as it goes on they become uh better friends and kind of in a way that's kind of childlike as well as you know these are people pre- preparing to go into space and i won't tell you where it goes from there but um you already know to watch World of Tomorrow. The other one that I'm really going to recommend to people is We Can't Live Without Cosmos. And then there's Prologue, which is super violent. Oh, <laughs> it's all like right. five minutes long. And it starts with live action shots of like a, a hand and a pencil being sharpened. And then the animation style is as like sort of sketches on like pencil sketches on a page. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a sort of ancient uh battle like i don't know spartans and trojans type of stuff yeah um fighting and there's just like people getting like eviscerated and (laughs) like uh it's
1: yeah five or six minutes of uh violence (laughs) and it was made by a nine-year-old boy i have to assume
0: right probably yeah uh and then moving into the live action um there are i would say i liked the animated ones overall more than I liked okay. the live-action ones. The only animated one I didn't like, I think, was Bear Story. Whereas with the live-action ones, there's only two that I did like. Okay, uh, and I'll start with one of those, which is a sort of comedy uh, called Ave, Ave Maria, in which uh, an Israeli Jewish Israeli family gets into a car accident. They accidentally run their car into a statue of Mary outside of a convent in Palestine. So it's oh okay. So uh, and then because and they were they got in the car accident because they're rushing home because it's sunset and it's Shabbat. Um and so now they're stuck at this convent and um they you know can't use the phone or anything because mm-hmm. it's uh, the Sabbath and the nuns of the convent have also taken a vow of silence. So it's basically a group of a group of Jews and Christians in Palestine, unable to communicate. <laughs> and so there's a lot of metaphor and stuff going yeah, on but there. It's also very and funny. It's also very funny. That's uh, nice. Uh, that's a good one. Um, the next one is called shock, which is the, I mean, it's, it takes place in the mid nineties, Kosovo war, um, between, uh, you know, Albanians and Serbs living in a small town. Um, and it's two Albanian boys are the main characters and it's, yeah, it's super heavy. And, um, you know not happy yeah. uh it, it shouldn't be but it also just uh it just i i, I it didn't seem to be any catharsis in it or uh, do you ever see some of those things that are uh this is the kind of how i felt about the movie prisoners okay. where it's like it's so heavy and it's like but why like why did you want to get this across to people. Uh, like that's what I feel. That's how it's I feel It's almost oppressive
1: is what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Okay. I Like I don't entirely understand what, what the motivation is for telling this story. It's not a, it, it, I mean, it, it's not a happy story. Hmm. Uh, I, I nothing it needs to be, but it's, it's also not edifying. I don't think okay. like, um, I think I, not that you necessarily need to know all the details of this right. war and I don't, but it doesn't, shine any lights or insights on the conflict or what it was like to live through it. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I, 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 just didn't care much for it, What I did care for, and this okay. is my favorite. This is the, the gem, the gem of the litter is not a, not a saying. Um, it's a German film called alles wird gut, which, uh, translates, um, roughly to everything will be okay. Okay. Um, it's the longest one at, at 30 minutes. Um, and it's, uh fantastic it's this this is one that is also kind of i mean it really puts you through the ringer uh, emotionally um but it does seem like there's a reason it's uh, uh you know i i hesitate cuz in my review i didn't give away what where the story goes so and I, so i kind of don't want to do that here either because these these are open opening like they're 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 playing in theaters I think I think they closed tonight here in Los Angeles but I know they're playing in theaters across the country uh in the couple weeks between now and the Oscars mm-hmm. um so I don't want to give away Alice feared um but it's um a a divorced father picks up his his young daughter for um a weekend he ha, you know has the visitation or has her for the weekend or whatever um and you um sort of uh, as a viewer you start to piece together that uh this is not going to be like other uh weekends and because the child is so young it takes her a long a much longer time to realize what's going on and so there's there's tension in is this guy doing what i think he's doing and also when is the girl gonna figure it out Mm -hmm. it's uh it's really good it's it's the best one Mm -hmm. uh, definitely um the next one is called Stutterer and it's about a guy who has uh, a debilitating stutter or stammer um to the point where he has taught himself sign language because he really hmm. you know he can't uh he can't communicate um and it's just about a uh, 10 minute long and it's when it is trying to sort of um uh relate what it what the inner psychological life of someone who can't communicate the way the rest of us can is like it's at its most effective, but I think it shoots itself in the foot by being way overly cutesy at the end. The main, the narrative as much as there is one is that he's been carrying on an online relationship. Um, He lives in London, this, uh, no, maybe he lives in Manchester and she lives in London. I can't remember. Um, They live in different cities and he's been carrying on a relationship with this woman And then she says, Hey, I'm going to be, he hasn't told her. They've Mm. just been typing back and forth online. He hasn't told her, um, about his stutter. And she says, Hey, I'm actually going to be in town for work. Can we meet up? And so the, the conflict is his, is him deciding whether or not to go to the next step of like, uh, revealing to this woman that, uh, he is essentially unable to speak to her, Mm. but it's, it's just really corny in the end. Okay. um, and the last one, which I feel like the cynic in me says this is going to win because it, it has the, uh, it just, you know, it's melodramatic, it's manipulative, and it uh, takes place in Afghanistan.
1: Oh, there you it know. is. Yeah, you're right.
0: <laughs> it's an, uh, an Afghani woman um, who uh, is starting, it's it's called Day One, and it's her first day on a new job. That job is that she's an interpreter for a group of, for U.S. troops. And so, um, uh, basically it's, uh, she has a really bad day. Okay. That, uh, y- you know, um, she gets, uh, sick from, f- from hiking and has to throw up and she has to do a couple other things. And then in the end, she ends up having to, uh, deliver the baby of like, they go into a guy's house who's an inspected, a suspected insurgent. Yeah. And while they're like arresting him, his wife goes into labor and because she's the only woman in this wife, and this woman is, um, you know, observes, you know, certain Muslim traditions. I don't know what mm-hmm. to call it, but um, they, she can't have any of the men in there. So this interpreter woman has to deliver uh, a, a baby. So, yeah, you're, you're shaking You have a, a, a look like you put something gross in your mouth. Yeah. You, you look like the one time we lived in Chicago and you tried Euro meat. That's what you look like right now. No, thank you. <laughs> No, thank you. Um, And that's right. Yeah. And uh, so it's probably going to win. Yeah. All right. Um, Why don't you take over for me? Because I have uh, run my mouth
1: dry. Okay. So I saw a movie that I believe, I might be wrong about this. I believe you owned it on VHS when we lived together in Chicago. It is the film They Made Me a Fugitive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's my first time seeing it. And I saw it thanks to our friends at Mubi. Um, and I had never, uh, yeah, I'd never seen it before, and I just thought, like, oh, this might be fun, and it's great. It's a really nice, it's you been know, a long time. When when we think of noir, obviously, we'll think of American films first, but uh, it is right. It's a British it, movie. It deserves to be mentioned in the like in the in the upper echelon of film noir because it is so so cynical about people like so it's just this guy who gets uh who who was in the war and he gets mixed up with this uh this group of you know um black marketers Mm -hmm. or marketeers i don't know if that's what it is um and um and then there's just—and uh, he, he basically gets uh, framed for, for a crime because he, he's a little iffy on some of the things that they're doing. Okay. And, this is all coming back to me. It's been so long. I have not thought about that movie in forever since yeah. until you just mentioned it. And I feel like I'll, I'll have a hard time forgetting it, mostly because of one scene. Now, the rest of it is great, but there's one scene that really sticks out to me. So anyway— so our, our hero, played by Trevor Howard, a guy that I always view as the classiest guy in the room, but and, and he's the classiest guy in the film, no question, but he also is capable of uh, tremendous anger and grittiness and frustration and all of these things. Um, so he gets arrested, and he breaks out so that he can get his revenge on the people that framed him. And at one point, he finds himself... In the house of this woman, just a just a random woman who reacts very strangely to the fact that there is a fugitive in her house. She's kind of friendly to him, but not in a romantic way. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, she she'll give him food and give him new clothes and that sort of thing. And then her husband stumbles in drunk and but he's not like abusive drunk like there's this very sad moment where he stumbles in and she's talking with Trevor Howard and he says something like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you had a guest. I'll just go upstairs. It's like, Oh, that's really sad already. (laughs) Um, and then she says to, uh, Trevor Howard that, Oh, okay. Uh, I've given you all these things. You know, if you're gonna, if you're going to be out there, it'll probably be helpful if you had a gun. So she offers him a gun provided of course he kills her husband. Now <laughs> he, the thing is this this is a random woman. Yeah. She has nothing to do with the plot. I got to watch this movie. Again. And and then uh, yeah and I feel Thanks like I'm giving movie. I feel like I'm giving away too much. But it's that scene is so amazing because you almost get the impression and maybe I'm reading too much into it that like Oh, if he stumbled into any house, something terrible would happen, you know? (laughs) Uh, And then the rest of it is is really, is, is really uh, amazing as well. But it's just such a, such a solid film. And I was, you know, when you hear, when you hear titles like they made me a fugitive, it just sounds so melodramatic and over the top and silly, but it's just, it's one of the darker films noir that I've ever seen in my life. And I was so happy I watched it. All right, thanks, movie. <laughs> um, I uh,
0: uh, now we, you know we still have a couple weeks until we do our top ten, so I'm still filling in some 2015 blanks. Yes, yeah. uh, and I'm glad uh, that this is one of the reasons I'm glad we wait because uh, Jafar Panahi's Taxi showed up uh, mm. to rent on Amazon, and I'd been uh, I'm a big fan of him. I had uh, was bummed that I had missed this movie in cinema in cinemas. Oh, uh, I'm gonna start saying it like that. No, please don't. Um, uh, and so I was glad I got the chance, uh, to watch it and, uh, it's fantastic. Um, I don't know if you know the whole, st- Jafar Panahi is technically banned from making movies. Oh yes, that's right. Um, and he, is he the one that made, this is not a film. This is not a okay. film that he made closed curtains. So this is his first, this is his third movie that he's made since he's been banned from making movies in, in Iran. Good for him. Um, very good for him. And I think, uh what's so fascinating about him, because he's the, you know, this is, he drives a taxi. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie is shot mostly with a camera mounted or dashboard mounted camera. But also you get some of the shots that are people's cell phones or whatever inside. But all the shooting is done from inside his taxi that he's mm-hmm. driving. Uh, where he picks people up. And he's, you know, you, you hear like this guy uh, um, is... Flagrantly making movies, you know, you expect someone who's a real firebrand, but he's so, like, sort of softly avuncular. Oh. Um, he is literally avuncular in this movie because he spends the second and a half of the movie with his niece. <laughs> um, so he is an uncle, is what yeah. I mean. Um, uh, and, and you kind of understand, like, how it's it's sort of a, like speak softly and carry a big stick thing it's like he's such a nice and soft guy yeah. and he's so pleasant to everyone uh, at one point someone is in his cab um, there's a couple of people who know who he is who uh, and are and there's one you know they're talking about how to see you know foreign art house movies that are banned in Iran like how there mm-hmm. are um, there are ways to get these DVDs black market DVDs Um, and, uh, he's, he's so nice to everyone then all of a sudden he, he's still nice, but he has, you realize that he very much is a man of his convictions because he starts talking about, he starts talking to this guy about film and art in the way of like, the f- he's like the f- film school professor everyone would love to have mm-hmm. at this point. And you realize, oh, wow, this isn't just a nice guy driving people around. Yeah. He's still, he really believes in things. And so that informs then going forward um, when people are in the cab uh, and you realize he's written these scenes for very specific reasons. He's taught, he, he, his, his, when he picks up his niece, she's in- taking a film class. And so she's learning about, you know, what is sanctioned by Iran as distributable or undistributable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, it starts this very soft premise of him just driving around in a taxi, but you sort of start to get a look over the course of it, of what it means to be him and what it means to be, um, a filmmaker or a film lover in a place like Iran. Um, because after this girl is talking about what is allowed and not allowed, um, officially in movies, Then he goes on in again, not in a in in your face or abrasive way, but includes things that are clearly clearly in violation of the list of uh, allowed and not allowed things Hmm. that um, his niece has just read a a scene or two previously. And it's the whole thing is so warm and soft and pleasant that uh, it's it's it sort of bowls you over uh, as it goes on. And you realize that it's. Um, an, an incredibly inflammatory <laughs> piece of protest art yeah. that is also just uh, a really uh, easy 85 minutes. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's, it's fantastic. I would recommend it to anyone. Um, next up, I saw... Um, uh, I'm, I'm close to seeing every um, foreign language film Oscar nominee. I've got one left. I haven't seen Thebe it's okay. playing at the Royal Music Hall. I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to, to see it. But the other one that was left on my list uh, that I saw this week is uh, Tobias Lindholm's A War. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, which is the story of, uh, you know, the Danish soldiers in Afghanistan. Again, Afghanistan. Uh, yeah. Um, and in the beginning, you get the the this, um, I guess, platoon or whatever I don't know a group of Danish soldiers in Afghanistan and their their um their chief their CEO or whatever is um this one guy whose name I forget but then the other half of the story is his um wife and their three kids uh at home in, mm-hmm. in Denmark and it and it sort of is a parallel story they're both given equal footing yeah um in the early going um and then uh I I, I like a movie that has that. I'm trying to, I'm so wary of spoilers, Um, but I like when movies have a plot, like by the end you realize, oh, this is a plot based movie, Mm -hmm. but the plot doesn't really reveal itself until close to halfway through. You know what I mean? I love that that kind of thing. There's a lot of back and forth between these two stories, the Afghanistan story and the Denmark story, before something big happens in Afghanistan and suddenly uh, the rest of the movie becomes informed by this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I like about it is that even after this big thing happens, the movie doesn't change its pace or tone. It's a movie that's very interested in, um, in process, which if you know me as a film lover, that's something that I really really love because it's something that um any like an art form like film that exists fourth dimensionally is really good at documenting not just Mm -hmm. documenting but using process to tell um little stories or to get points across so you know when they go on one of their missions you're seeing you're not just seeing like in the standard sort of um you know american studio uh, war or military movie, you just see the juicy stuff, really, mm-hmm. you know. But you're seeing everything, um, and you're seeing it unfold at a very um, measured and determined, but but determined uh, determined pace. Um, and so, when th- when this thing happens in the movie, maybe in the abstract becomes more melodramatic. The execution and presentation does not become more melodramatic. It still is concerned with, uh, sort of, um, on the ground, um, process of, mm-hmm. of what's happening. Uh, I, 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 liked it overall. Overall. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, um, is my turn? It is your turn. Okay. So one of the reasons that I saw so few movies this week is because one of them was like six and a half hours long. um, <clears throat> Having wait, can I? Is it Satan Tango? That's the one. No, I believe that's eight hours long. No, oh, okay. It's um. What is so? What I believe is? I told you. Uh, you're not going to get it. I believe I told listeners before about the wonderful and comprehensive uh, Never Sleep Again, which is the documentary about the about every nightmare in Elm Street. Uh-huh. Well, there is a companion called Crystal Lake Memories. About all of the Friday the Thirteenth, uh, it was recommended to me by a listener after I talked about seeing Never Sleep Again, uh-huh. and it is about a, a a franchise that I don't know much about, but I know I'm what I've seen. I'm usually very dismissive of. Okay, and one of the reasons that I was excited to um, to watch it um, was that. I wanted it's always fun to see the passion behind something that you don't understand or don't care about or don't like, um, but to see that other people are excited about it and so um go you know it goes movie by movie, it brings in uh the director, it brings in the producers and then the various actors you know people who who probably haven't acted in years. But are probably still going, being invited to horror conventions because of their involvement with the second Friday the 13th or something like that. Huh. Um, it's also very interesting because it also it follows the... You, you can watch the character of Jason Voorhees evolve, which means... And, and he's played by a different person in almost every film, huh. uh, as opposed to something like... Freddy, Freddy Krueger, who it's always, it's always, uh, Robert England. Um, and so you get to see what each actor brings to it, you know, and sometimes they bring in basically a stunt man and there's not, and of course stuntmen still perform, but then in other cases, they bring in actors who don't have that much, uh, experience with stunts, but who really add, mm-hmm. uh, some, some personality to the character. So that's interesting. And then, um, then you get to see what individual directors do with it and with the one i don't remember if it's I, th- I think it's five or six uh who gives a shit um i think it's jason lives i think that's five um and the director was brought in uh, because he was kind of allowed to do whatever he wanted so he's like i want it to be like this gothic thing and and, and i want it to be like those old uh universal horror movies uh-huh. well it isn't really in in many ways but in some it is like jason is brought back to life by uh he gets stabbed with this um this like a fen- like like a rod from a fence uh-huh. and then like lightning strikes it so it's like frankenstein yeah and so and that's and that's the that's the best reviewed one, and then following these movies more so even more definitely more so than Nightmare on Elm Street, where critics were always eager to engage with the creativity of like the dreamscape, mm-hmm. whereas these critics are almost uniformly dismissive and probably rightfully so. But it's interesting when when critics lock they they clearly. Pick up what the what the director is trying to do, and he's trying to do something different, and one could say better than the other directors. So it's just all so interesting, and I think one of the reasons that I was so that I found it so interesting is because I care so little about it. Um, I, I have so, which is to say I have so little invested in it.
0: Wasn't you know? there a thing? Um, I have a friend who's like a big horror fan, and I feel like wasn't there a thing where <laughs> is it Paramount who put those out? Yes, and they. For most of the early movies, they tamed them down. Oh my yes! Like they they for every movie they kept filling filming really grisly horror or grisly death scenes. Yes, and then they're all cut down. Yeah, and you Why see is that
1: because they didn't want a, an X rating Huh. for because uh, they just it would be harder for their key audience. Now their key audience are they can't see rated R anyway, theoretically. Uh, but it's, I guess it's easier for them to sneak into a rated R than, than an X. If only this were the days of, if there were DVDs
0: back then, then they would Mm. just put out the unrated
1: version to be a huge marketing thing. And they do show, I mean, they're not cleaned up or anything, but they do show, Hey, here's what was cut out of a particular death. So that's interesting. But one thing that I thought was, was, and it's fun watching some of the actors, uh, who clearly they, they have, they know what they were in. Um, and just, it's fun to watch them talk about the experience of it. Um, and there's this one woman, I I wish I remembered who it was, but I, I just remember her, the, her assessment of the film she was in
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and, and the director that said like, you know, he really went out of his way to really reassure the audience and be like, you're fine. You're fine. You're no you're not. You're fucked. And just and and the way that she just interrupts her, interrupts herself. Um and that's basically that's basically the uh the experience of the Friday the 13th movies. You're fine until you're fucked. And uh it was a very interesting. It's it's one of those things that like horror fans would definitely enjoy watching this thing. And then I think film fans in general because I think horror is often stigmatized. And then within that, the Michael Myers ripoff is definitely stigmatized. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we, we all love Halloween. Right. But then this one, which is definitely a ripoff. I mean, the, the, they get, they even admit it. Um, that is the one that is often kind of pushed aside and the one that like, we're like, ah, we don't want to do that. Um, and so I think for that, re- but to see so many people, um, enjoying being a part of it mm-hmm. and and then there's like little fun little t- bits of trivia like uh every time the, after a certain point every time they put a movie out uh or put out put out the script and they started calling for actors and stuff like that they would never say hey we're making another friday the 13th they would pick a different david bowie album title <laughs> um and so oh, that's awesome yeah and there is just a and the, there is one thing and even back then there were ma- there are fans who knew that uh-huh. And this was before the internet. And so there was this one woman who was an actress and she got a script. She's like, and she said to her husband, Hey, I got this script. And so he was like reading, he was going back and forth with her for her audition station to station or something. It's something, it's something like that. And so, and as he's going through, he goes, wait a second. <laughs> Cause he was a big fan. He goes, this isn't no. It's not station to station. But it's like, this isn't station to station. This is a Friday the Thirteenth movie. You've got to get this. <laughs> and so it's it's very funny. And 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 you know, it's not remarkably some substantive substantive. But from a film production standpoint and a film appreciation standpoint, I think it, you would enjoy it.
0: Okay. Well, um, it's called Crystal Lake Memories. Yes. Okay. Um moving on uh, not really moving on actually keeping in the realm of uh the overlap of documentary and horror now i said that i like that we delay our top 10 mm-hmm. and it's not just cuz i get to catch up on um stuff that i missed like jafar panahi's taxi but every year it seems like there's something that i see in the last couple weeks before we do our top 10 that ends up making my top 10 yeah. that i wasn't expecting be at a house of pleasures the mill on the cross casa de mi padre these mm-hmm. are movies from past years I saw a movie. I know you've seen it. Okay. It is fantastic. Okay. It is... I'm going to say... I know this is going to sound like hyperbole.
1: Okay. But
0: I really believe this to be true. I'm excited. It's the scariest movie I've ever seen in my life. Ah. It's Rodney Asher's The Nightmare. Yeah. It's unbelievably scary. It's primally scary Mm -hmm. to me. And because it's so brilliant, it's a documentary about sleep paralysis, but not really. Like, the movie itself doesn't seem that interested in the history or medical aspects of sleep
1: paralysis. I think it's interested in some history.
0: Some history. Yeah. But it's more interested in these being our primal fears, the weird fact that our brains can do this to us, except for some people who think it's not our brains, that they're actually being visited, um, and the ways that our our art and popular culture for most most of human history that gets into the realm of horror has in some way or another been uh, informed by these types of dreams that people with sleep paralysis have. Yeah. Uh, but because it's a documentary and it doesn't have to be a narrative. That's the thing about narrative in horror movies that I realized is that there's something safe about it. Mm-hmm. And because this... Has no narrative. It's not safe at all. It no. manages to be uh something, something that very few horror movies can really achieve. It manages to be truly scary from the beginning. Yeah, because it just is able to just jump in, and it still. I, I like that Asher is a, uh, a a horror fan, and he knows to give us a little hope at the end, and it does end. Uh, not uh, not with everything being okay these people are going to live with you know there's no cure for this there's no understanding of it and these people who have been for decades in some cases living with sleep paralysis um multiple nights a week yeah. um are going to continue but it does end with a little bit of um a, cu- the, a couple of the interviewees being hopeful in a in a way or finding hope in it but that's all that, that's fine. If I if I'm not writing a review of the movie, so I don't have to worry about that stuff. Well, what I'm going to tell you is it's so fucking scary that I I I love scary movies. I don't watch that many, mm-hmm. um, or as many as I probably should. But when I do watch them, my favorite way to watch a scary movie because I am masochistic masochistic about it is to watch it alone in my living room late at night, right before I'm going to bed. Because the idea to me. I don't want to be safe. Like I, yeah. I want to be as scared as this movie can possibly make me. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Like I saw, we'll talk about it in our main episode this week. Uh, Cause we're doing Sundance. I saw a really good horror movie at Sundance called under the shadow. But then also, as soon as it was over, I got up and was with my friends and we walked outside into the sunlight. Like yeah. it dissipates really quickly. We're, so when I, when I watch a horror movie that I really think is going to scare me, it's the same thing I did with the Babadook. It's alone. Cause my, my wife's not going to watch these. Yeah. It, like if she hears a movie is really scary that's she didn't even want me to tell her a thing about the nightmare because just just hearing the 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 surface of what it's about, she was like, "This is scaring me too much already, so I'm watching it alone, I'm watching it starting at eleven or eleven thirty at night before I go to bed mm-hmm. um and this is the first time I've done that that i like fifteen minutes into the movie, I literally thought. I should maybe turn this off. Like this might not be good for me. Yeah. To 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 have this with me right now. Yeah. And then go to bed. Um. And I and I did like because they t- they talk in the movie about the idea of someone not knowing what sleep paralysis is, then learning what it is. Oh yeah. And then having it. I it's did have so the thought of like question.
1: Rodney. Yeah.
0: What are you doing? I can't. I got it. We got to have him back on the show. Oh no question. Um. Uh, because yeah, I wonder how many people he has given sleep
1: paralysis to. Um, the film but, did help me realize, by the way, that I had experienced sleep paralysis oh, yeah, once. Um me this story. Yeah. Um, and actually, uh, I had. By weird happenstance, I had hap- I happened to mention the specific what I th- thought was a dream uh-huh. uh, on an episode of More Than One Lesson. We were just talking about weird dreams. I was like, I had this thing last week. And I was like, I'm standing. It's like it's different. It was different than my usual nightmare, which are spy, which is you know spider related. Um, and I said, you know, I was just standing at the top of my stairs, and at the bottom was uh, this. Uh, a- a little girl completely in shadow, like just a silhouette basically Mm -hmm. with blazing red eyes and clearly holding a giant knife and slowly ascending the stairs. And I'm standing at the top and I can't move to get away. And I woke up like so, I mean, drenched in sweat
0: and just like, and I wish I don't want to spoil it for people. I also don't want to give people nightmares. So I don't want to like describe. Yeah. But, uh, I've seen, uh, uh, you know, like I like to do. I I read reviews after I'd seen it, Mm -hmm. Um, and I know uh, a couple of people say Rodney Asher should try his hand at a real at a regular horror movie. And I'm like, no, he doesn't need to. Yeah, he made the scariest movie (coughs) you could possibly make, and it's not just because it's a scary subject. He's so good at 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 being scary at finding little things that, if it were daylight and all the lights were on, maybe you could say that's corny. But it's. Not because this is really what these people go through, and if it yeah. were really happening, you wouldn't think it was it was corny. But he finds little little touches. I'll give one. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but one of the things that scared me the most was uh, the one where the guy is in bed next to um, a girl, um, and in his dream. So people who don't know these dreams, um, they are they are dreams, I guess. Yeah, um, um, they're very vivid dreams in which you are in the you tend to be in the place where you are actually sleeping when you're yeah. happening. So it's, it's a, it's a blending of, uh, wake and, and, and sleep. So this thing, the shadow man that appears to him, most of these involve shadow men. Uh, this one that got me is the shadow man is so tall that he has to hunch over to fit in the room. Ugh. He has the right, the, red eyes. But then here's what got me because this is the kind of thing that if I've had a nightmare, this is what happened because often when you see ghosts and stuff in movies, they have like eerie voices or whispery voices. Yeah. This thing is whispering, but it's whispering really harshly, really intently. And it says, you know, you know who I am. and You're going to die. Like, but it's like really mean, but whispering. Yeah. Oh my God. That scared me so much. Uh, and so I, um, braved the movie i made it through um and i went to bed uh really really worried that i would have this happen and also thinking that was amazing i'm never ever watching that again i've seen it three times that's that the next day i woke up i was so relieved it hadn't happened to me and by lunchtime i was like i wonder if i can watch that again tonight like it's like that feel it's like a drug like i want to
1: I want to keep watching this movie. It's just, and, and there's a hypnotic, uh, tone tone to it that is just unlike, certainly unlike a lot of documentaries, but unlike a lot of films, like it just pulls you into this thing and it's so fascinating. And yeah, I, I was, so I saw it. Oh, this was not smart of me. Jen was out of town and I saw the last What was quite possibly the last show in Los Angeles, uh, in the theater And so I was like, well, I I definitely want to see this in the theater. So I went to the NoHo 7 Mm -hmm. and I watched the 10 p.m. show of it, (laughs) drove home to my dark, empty house (laughs) and then time for bed. Oh, wait, no, it's not. I'm going to stay up maybe all night working because I literally thought like sleep is the worst thing that I can do right now. Yeah. So the best possible way to avoid this is to not sleep. And then you realize I'm I'm this hasn't even happened to me. And I'm in the same position as the people that it has happened to. It is, it very few movies are, are as efficient at creating viewer empathy for its subject as that film.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and Rodney is so, uh, I mean, I I feel like sometimes I feel a little bit guilty, liking a, liking a movie that, um, is directed by someone who we are on yeah. good terms with, has been on the show twice. Yeah. Uh but he that empathy, he clearly has it. Oh no you know? question. He, um, and I think that uh, was something that was true of room two room two thirty seven. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no judgment in him at all. And there's for his um seemingly like uh you know he's like a dark horror fan weirdo on the surface, but he's such a kind and open <laughs> yeah. person. Yeah, it's really great. Uh, we got to motor through these last few because um, um, someone's outside. Yeah. <laughs> um, we could go, we so, could take a we can pause and let uh, them no, in. No, we're just going to get to this. Okay. Um, sticking with horror ish, this actually isn't a horror movie, it's a meta horror comedy. Uh, I also saw The Final Girls. Oh, okay. Um, I'm glad I saw it. It's fun and funny, and it does a few um, uh, interesting things. For those who don't know, it's about um, Taisa Formiga, who's from uh, Formiga, I don't know how you say it, um, an actress that I really like, by the way. Um, uh, plays a, a a girl whose mother played in younger version, um, only younger version, there's no older version because she died, uh, played by Malin Ackerman, mm-hmm. was a 80s scream queen. Oh, okay. Um, and Taysa Formiga goes to a screening on the anniversary of her death, the screening of this movie Camp Bloodbath, which is a Friday the 13th um, uh, type of thing. And she and her friend, you know, mystical, mystical, whatever, she and her friends end up getting <laughs> trapped in the movie. Okay um oh that's fun and it does do some some fun things of of um like uh, you know it's not when it comes to pointing out specific horror tropes that's been done so much by Scream and behind the mask and um to some extent cabin in the woods Uh, i know you have different uh, feelings on that but it does seem like that's there's not a lot of meat left on that bone and Mm -hmm. so it doesn't when it comes to that it's actually not um very, very interesting. It does have some interesting, um, sort of, uh, seeing, seeing a mid 80s teen sex centric slasher movie from a 2015 feminist point of view does lead to some very funny, uh, a couple of very funny jokes. Um, but mostly it gets into the, it just has fun with the idea of, uh, experiencing. Filmmaking tropes from inside a movie, like what would it look like if you were standing in a scene and then it went into a flashback? Like mm, that's uh, fine. Uh, the the sort of the blending of of worlds, and there's things like when they get into the flashback and the words summer 1957 which are you know a subtitle at the bottom of the screen but they're physically there in front of them like in order they have to step over the word summer to get to where they're going okay um there's a part where the uh bad guy is the is on fire and chasing them and it's in slow motion and they're aware that they're in slow motion they're like what's (laughs) happening and it goes on uh for a while um there's there's some fun stuff um when it's all over it's pretty thin soup but uh it's uh, i would i would i would recommend it for a, a fun time if that's all you're looking for and it's got a good cast It's taser formiga malin akerman um thomas middleditch and um someone uh that i think livens up every movie she's in uh shawcat oh yeah 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 absolutely yeah and it also has nina dobrev uh from the vampire diaries and okay. she's quite good um, and some other people. Yeah, that's good. Uh, well you got another one?
1: Yeah, this is my last one. I saw the Coen brothers, hail Caesar. Okay. And I did not expect to like it as much as I did. In fact, you I, did. in fact, I love it. Good. Um, you know, it's not uh,
0: proving very popular. Well, those people are
1: idiots. Okay. Um, that's mean of me. Uh, I, I expected it to be just a mess. I expected it to just be uh, just this hodgepodge of goofy things, which the Cohen brothers are not opposed to doing. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't expect there to be a lot of uh, narrative or thematic cohesion, but there absolutely is, it's to such a degree, in fact, that there will be, in March, there will be a more than one lesson about it oh. because the themes are so fascinating to me. Uh, and what's interesting, David, this is... This isn't a thing I say very often because I don't like to think in these terms. But I will say, I think this is one of those movies that my faith uh-huh. has allowed me to understand on a level that other critics do not. Uh, having read a I number lo- of reviews. I look forward to listening to that More Than One Lesson episode. Yeah. It's it's really fascinating to me. Uh, and And maybe it's just that I'm projecting things onto the film. But I don't think so. I think like i think the 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 through line of of uh the of the main character and his relationship to his own faith and the guilt that he feels, even though and people just could not quite understand why he feels so guilty he doesn't he hasn't done much like he sneaks a cigarette from time mm-hmm. to time um, he struck a movie star in anger <laughs> uh you know that kind of thing um, and and people just kind of make fun of, you know, like this typical Catholic guilt and that sort of thing. I was like, no, I don't think so. It's deeper than that. This is about a guy who has been iffy about his entire existence as a movie executive, feeling like his life is frivolous and silly and utterly pointless. And when you, and when you combine that with, with uh, a non Hollywood character basically saying as much. Um, to try to pull him away from that, I feel like when you 're not sure if what you 're doing in life is contributing to the world mm-hmm. in a positive way, then you will just feel you 'll feel guilty as a person and so I love that, but at the same do time this podcast i have we have several <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we just keep doubling down on it and adding <laughs> adding more things to it but uh, yeah, so. <clears throat> So, I loved that, but then, at the same time, I thought it was so much fun to watch and so regularly funny at the same time so uh if you're a film and it's what I also like, and as David, as you know, I tend not to like movies where either an actor or a filmmaker. They, you can tell the movie was made so, as sort of a defense of a life in the arts. That's what I didn't like. It's one of the things I didn't like about Monuments Men. is Everything oh, about right, it right. seemed like George Clooney was trying to convince us that he's doing really important things, get you guys. Uh-huh. Um, and this is a defense of that, but it's also a celebration of the thing. And by putting the, the celebration of it at the forefront, the defense seems less defensive, and more like a natural byproduct of look how amazing movies can be. And I feel like very few people are as qualified to make that kind of movie uh, as the Coen brothers.
0: Okay. Um, um, my last movie that I saw is called The Bronze. Uh, the only thing I knew about it oh. is that it um, played Sundance last year and was almost universally panned. I think it's at uh, 13% on Rotten Tomatoes uh, and is finally making its way um, to theaters. Um, I saw it. It's not like offensively bad. Like I was expecting, it's just, um, pretty formulaic. And okay. also it's mean spirited in a way mm. that I didn't like. Um, it's about a, uh, a gymnast played by, uh, Melissa Rauch who also wrote the movie, who I'm guessing, I think people know her from the big bang theory. I don't know her from anything, but apparently okay. she's on the big bang theory. um, and she had, uh, she won the bronze at the 2004 Games. They clearly don't have the right to say the Olympics in the movie. Um, she won, At the 2004 Games, she won uh, bronze in gymnastics and is sort of, um, it, now it's 10 years later and she's sort of still trying to coast on, on that and has become a really self-centered and awful person. And of course, it's a, you know, blah, blah, blah. She gets redeemed. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it kind of reminded me. There's a movie that um, a lot of people like, and there are things about it that I like. Um, I don't know if you have ever seen it. Have you ever seen Drop Dead Gorgeous? I have not, but I know a lot of people like it. Yes, a lot of people like it, and there is funny stuff in it. But I have never been able to get away from the fact that I think it's really, really making fun of Midwesterners in a, okay. in a way that it is not doesn't have any empathy at all. Um, and this, you know, that one takes place in Minnesota or maybe Wisconsin. I can't remember. This takes place in Ohio, but it has that same. Um, just constant barrage of middle America is so stupid. <laughs> like that's, that's kind of what yeah, I think yeah. the point of the movie is. And yeah. I think if there's any, so it's not, so I guess what I was expecting when I heard about this movie being so hated at Sundance last year, I was expecting something that was dreadfully, uh, you know, assembled and it's not, it's a perfectly competently made, um, formulaic redemption story comedy yeah. um what i found upset uh, upsetting about it is its point of view um that said i will give melissa rauch um uh credit for her just being a, just a like it's a really committed performance in terms of um her intensity of being a terrible terrible person uh, and she does what she needs to do, I guess. Um, what she doesn't do is make the character the least bit sympathetic, which is a problem. <laughs> we're supposed to want her to be redeemed. Okay, yeah. Whereas I spent the movie wanting her to get her comeuppance. Um, it's not how it's supposed to
1: happen. Okay. Um,
0: all right, so that's movies. Uh, TV, Children's hospitals back, and it's
1: good. Oh, okay. Is that, okay. Is, is that what we're saying? Okay. Yeah. Do you have any TV? Uh, I don't believe so. I mean, I've I've been going back and not so much watching, but while I've been working, I've been uh, I've had old seasons of Survivor on, including season 27, which I had not watched since its original airing. And it is really marvelous. And it's the first one where people come on with their loved ones and their loved ones are on one tribe and they're on another. And uh, so you're, you know, moves that you make. Could actually have an impact on someone that you love on the other side and that's very interesting and it was it brought something new to the game uh so yeah it was a it's a fun fun season and that's and the new one starts soon which uh, the new one oh. starts in like a week and a half and i am not prepared oh. for it when when does the new amazing race start probably not long after that oh, i guess my wife and i are just not going to do that
0: podcast i don't think you can do it yeah All right. You can use the... Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Maybe I can. Okay. All right. Uh, That's off. That's another topic. Um, We got people outside. Let's go let Matt in. All right. Bye.